Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our Truth Partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a Truth Partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth, and thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. All right, remain standing. Grab your Bibles. And um, I don't need glasses yet. Of course, I'm using font 22 up here, so it's pretty big. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, just one verse, and then you can sit down. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. I'm so excited to preach this to you guys today. Anybody hungry for a word from God? Anybody hungry for some encouragement? Right? So Hebrews chapter 11, verses, or verse 21 says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Father, I thank you for your word. Anoint me to minister with clarity. God, let the word just sink in our heart. Let it take root. Let it bring forth fruit. Let that fruit remain. In Jesus' name. You love him? Come on, shout amen. Give him a praise. You can be seated. Let's go to work. So, I was watching a documentary the other day, and uh, anybody like documentaries? Yeah, I love watching them. So I was watching this documentary the other day, and it was a documentary about uh, this boy, and I, I don't want to butcher his name, but I think it's Aurelian Haman, and you can do some research on him yourself and, and, and research this story or watch this documentary. But the documentary uh, is entitled, The Boy Who Could Not Forget. The Boy Who Could Not Forget. Basically, he just remembered everything. How many people would love to have that challenge, right? And uh, his parents discovered this pretty early on because as he began to get older, he could remember everything about his first birthday, second birthday, third birthday, fourth birthday. I can't remember anything until I was like 12, like 11 or 12. It's like that's when life began. I don't know whether I blocked it all out. How many of you can remember stuff when you were like four or five? Anybody can remember? Some of you, oh, brilliant. Maybe you have this. Same challenge here, or the same blessing, rather. But um, he just could remember everything all the way down to his first birthday. And so doctors began to research him and look at his brain and study his brain. And even when he was 18, 19, the doctors would pull pictures up and ask him questions about um, his life. And, and, and he would not just tell you some one thing about the day. He could say it was a Saturday it was snowy in June, and it was rare in June for it to be snowy because they lived in England at that time. And I remember um, my mother was cooking eggs downstairs, and I went downstairs, and I put on a red sweater, and I went out and played in the snow. And it was just like massive amounts of detail that he could absolutely remember. And they began to research his brain and find out that he had this condition. And I don't want to totally butcher it, so I won't try to even pronounce it, but he had this condition and uh, what it meant was that he could recall and basically remember things that most people could not remember. And when they studied it even more, 
they began to research a part of the country, and lots of people within the community and the country of that population also had this same blessing where they would not forget. And I was watching this documentary about a group of people who could remember. They could just remember just, just all these different things and moments and blessings and wonderful days that happened in their life. And I thought, how wonderful would it be if a church, if there was a group of people within the Twin Cities, if there was a group of people who loved Jesus, who just rose up to say, we will not forget the blessings of God. We will not forget the goodness of God. We will not forget the great things that God has done in our life, in our family, in our children, in our community, in the Twin Cities, and at Creative Church. If we would just remember the goodness of God. And I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, while he was dying, blessed his sons, and then he worshiped, and he died holding his staff. And this scripture kind of baffles me for a little bit because it almost kind of doesn't make sense. You know, it says he was worshiping and then holding or leaning on his staff. And so I started doing a little research and I started uh, to dig a little bit and I came across this article. I didn't know this, but I came across this article written by this rabbi who specialized in uh, historical, uh, Jewish historical artifacts, particularly staffs. And he began to break down the importance of the staff, and he began to explain in great detail that each uh, young man, every young man in Jewish culture would receive a staff, and it was given to him because, you know, you're out as a, a, a shepherd, there, there was no paper for you to write on, no, you couldn't run down the stables and get an ink pen and just write down things that happened to you. And so they were given this staff, and what they would do is from a very young age, when they would get the staff, every time that God was faithful in their life, every time that God showed up in their life, every time there was like a life-changing, life-moment event of God's faithfulness, they would take that staff, and they would take their knife, and they would just carve a little bit on that staff, some indention, some marking, many of them that only they knew what that meant on that staff. And they would take the staff and they would, uh, they would take it and they would start notching in on the, the top of it and start making little marks and then they would turn it upside down and then they would begin to walk with it. And every time they would walk with it, every time they looked down, they would see God's faithfulness, see the things that God had done in their life, the things that God had accomplished in their life. How many know that God has been faithful he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm a friend that sticks closer than any brother. God has been faithful. And this brought me to the place where I began to understand that you have to stay long enough in the presence of God to create a memory. You've got to get in the presence of God. You've got to go through some things with God in order to create a memory. See, God's teaching methods are absolutely incredible. The word must be lived out. It must go from logos, which is unapplied text, to rhema which rhema is text cut to the continuity of your own specificities, tailor-made for you. Text is just, uh, logos is just, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Rhema is 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and I'm wanting some things right now, and now I'm realizing that he's my shepherd, and I'm not going to want anything that he doesn't want me to have because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now the text has become rhema word for you. It means something to you. It's word that is cut to fit what you're going through. Does that make sense to you? And so uh, we've got to get a rhema word from God. And so when you go through things, God, God takes you through it so you learn the experience. Because God doesn't have grandkids, he has kids. So every time you want to know him, he takes you through something. You'll never know he's a healer unless you walk through sickness. You'll never know that he's a provider unless you walk through lack. Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our truth partners. If you're interested in being a truth partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select truth partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. See, when you're young, you worship him. Oh God, you're my healer. You ain't never been sick. Oh God, you're a provider, but mom and daddy provide. Until you get old enough where you got that first apartment and now you got more Months left at the end of the money instead of more money left at the end of the month. And now you begin to see him for yourself as a provider. Now you begin to see him for yourself as a healer. So every time you want to know him, he takes you through something. And, and you want to know me as a healer? Okay, come on. Come on. We're going to walk through cancer. Come on. Come on. Come on. You trust me? Come on. You want to know me as a provider? Come, let's walk through lack. Let's walk through layoff. They're going to let you go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Trust me. Trust me. Come on. You want to know me as a present help in the midst of trouble? Come on. We're going to walk through trouble. We're going to walk through it. Come on. And, and so he takes you through it. So his teaching methods are incredible. And God does not graduate you to the next grade because you're too old to be in that class. He takes you through it. And you begin to realize that the same God that delivered me from the past storm will deliver me through the next storm. And you're armed with the favor of God. You know one of the, one of the scriptures that get me through things? People say, Pastor, what's your secret stuff? One of my secrets, my secret stuff. Name secrets in the Bible, but my secret stuff is, and I put it on the back of all the orange, all these orange Bibles. This is one of my, I live by this. You come in my house, this is on my wall. It's in, my, it's in my office too. Right here, Deuteronomy 33, 25 says, as your days are, so shall your strength be. That God says, I'll give you the strength the day you face the problem. I didn't have the anointing to have eight kids till I had them. <laughs> but the day we had the, them last two, we had, the, we had the grace to do it. Some people say, well, I'm not going to start the company, but you ain't got the grace to start the company. When you start the company, you're going to have the grace to do it. Go talk to anybody who's expecting. We don't know how we're going to do it, Lord, child. We just we don't know how we're going to figure it. And then when you have the baby, as your days are. As your days are. How many people have ever faced challenges and you knew it was coming and you thought, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But when the day came, God gave you the strength. I wish I had somebody who knew what I was talking about. God gave you the strength. To walk through what he had to walk through. As your days are, so shall your strength be. I live on that. 
So you've got to get in his presence to create a memory. So if you're taking notes, write this down. I'm going to give you just two or three things worth writing down. Number one, you have to create a memory that will strengthen you to stand when you're about to fall. You've got to create a memory that will strengthen you to stand when you're about to fall. It's moments like this that we look at what we're facing as a society, what we're facing that's coming against our marriages, coming against our children, coming against our teenagers, coming against our economy, coming against everything that we're facing, and we have to reflect the goodness of God. One of the things I started talking to some men that I pour into is I told them, I said, you have to start creating your own economy. They were coming to me and saying, Pastor, I'm concerned about the economy. What about the economy? And you know this about the God. I said, you gotta, you got to create your own economy. You're you're operating from a reactive perspective rather than a proactive perspective. You're letting things happen and you're reacting to that rather than you acting and letting people react to you. You need to start going to God and saying, God, how can I start to create my own economy? I wish I had somebody who knew what I was talking about. See, when you tithe and you put God first, you don't operate in the world's economy. You operate in God's economy. You operate, you operate outside of the systems of this world. That's why you don't care about the things of this world. You're, 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 not, you're not trying to get a party to fix the problem because you're leaning on God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge, and he shall direct your path. Where you're operating outside of the system. The system's too small. The system's too weak. The system's too fragile. You gotta operate outside of the system. You gotta put your faith and trust in God. God doesn't operate in the system. God operates outside of the system. Oh, Jesus. And in these moments, we have to reflect the goodness of God. You gotta have more faith in running over than you have fear in running out. All you gotta do is turn on the news and they're gonna scare you in about 30 seconds. Be running into the grocery store buying milk and bread and eggs and toilet paper and into <laughs> the world and my God, it's all coming. They're gonna freak you out in no time. All they're gonna talk about is what's wrong. That's what they should call the news. What's wrong? <laughs> Welcome to six o'clock's news. Here's what's wrong. Because we always return to our last memory where we had pleasure. That's why you've got to create a memory in the presence of God. There's some things that people may try and take credit for, but maybe, maybe I'm the only one in here. Is there some, there's anybody else in here who's gone through some things, or God bless you with some things, and you know God did that for you? Somebody else may try, may try and take credit for it, but you know. Oh, come on. Is it just me? You know God did that for you. You know. And you have to count the goodness of God. Always remember Always remember to count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it's in these moments, these challenges, when we walk through things. And and so many Christians, they try to pray away everything. We we don't ever want to walk through anything. But that's how God brings blessings in your life. You pray for opportunity, God give you adversity. You say, I didn't ask for no adversity. I asked for opportunity. He said the opportunity is in the adversity. God gives everything in seed form. Even you got here in seed form. Everything God gives you is going to be in seed form. God gives you blessings in seed form to keep fraudulent people from getting it. 
Because fraudulent people don't want the acorn. They want the oak tree. So God gives the blessing in, in, in the form of an acorn. So the fraudulent people who just want it now will walk away from it. You ask God for an oak tree, he give you an acorn. You say, I didn't ask you for the acorn, I asked you for an oak tree. He said, the oak tree's in the acorn. And if you've got enough faith, there's a forest in the acorn. Despise not the day of small beginnings. Despise not the day of small beginnings. It starts in seed form. And God's going to bring it into your life. And you've got to start going to God. See, most of our prayer life is God give me. God give me, God give me, God give me. You like your kids, Christmas coming, they get their catalog, and they, now they're just circling the whole page. God give me, God give me, God give me, God give me, God give me. And you like the prodigal son. The prodigal son went to the father and said, Father, give me. Give me. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. But give it to me. Give me the portion of good that falleth in me. And so he got it. He lost it all. And when he filled his belly with that which the swine did eat, he comes back to the father and says, make me as one of your servants. See, the, the maturity is when you can move from give me to make me. Most of us are going to God with give me. Very few of us are saying, very few of us are going to God saying, God, make me as one of your servants. See, the only position that's available in the kingdom of God is servanthood. And if you're not wanting to be a servant, there's no openings for you in the kingdom of heaven. That's the only position that's available is servanthood. So you've got to go to God and say, God, start make me as a servant. Make me. Very few of us are getting on the altar saying, God, make me better. Most of us are just saying, God, make me bigger. Make my business bigger. Make my influence bigger. But very few of us are getting on the altar saying, God, make me better. Make, see, make, see, make me. Make me better. Make me a better man. Make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Make me a better wife. Make me a better business leader. Make me a better employer. Make me a better employee. That's something ain't on your prayer list. You ain't praying that Monday morning at 8 o'clock. You brushing them teeth. God, make me a better employee today. <laughs> but but, but God, God is, God is trying. See, for, for, for 19 years, I've been trying to build a church, but God has been trying to build me. God is, God is trying to make you. He, he's not into you getting it quick. Grandmama said, easy come, easy go. See, because when you hold on, when you, when you birth something, Anything you birth, you will not let die easily. And so in order to birth it, you've got to go through pain. You've got to go through challenges. You've got to go through adversities. You've got to go through heartaches. You've got to go through things. Quit praying away your giants. It is the giants that give you the leverage to reach your destiny. You can't climb smooth mountains. It is the jagged places in our life that give you the leverage to climb. Is this helping anybody? Everybody say, make me. Make me. Whatever you're facing, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, we've got to go to God and realize that God has been faithful. It's so, I just bring this up because Christians have a tendency to forget 
so quickly the faithfulness of God. It's like when Jesus fed the multitudes. He fed the multitudes and then he told the disciples, take 12 baskets of leftover. They had 12. How many disciples were there? So it was 12 baskets, one for each disciple. They get on the boat and then they get into a storm. And they start thinking, do you not care that we perish? We're in this storm, but at their feet, sitting at their feet while they're crying, while they're screaming to the God who doesn't care, at their feet is their last testimony. Sitting at their feet is their last miracle. And they have that quickly forgotten that the same God that delivered us from this storm will deliver us from the next storm. That's why Jesus told them to take the food with you as a testimony so when you get in the next storm, you can remember the goodness of God. You can remember the faithfulness of God. See, when the children of Israel went to fight in the Old Testament, they always took the Ark of the Covenant with them. And the Ark of the Covenant would go into the battle first. And another name for the Ark of the Covenant was the Ark of their Testimony. It had in Aaron's rod, had in the Ten Commandments, had in the pot of manna, which were testimonies of God's faithfulness. So when they went into battle, the first thing they took into battle was their testimony. They went into battle remembering the goodness of God. And so many times when we face a challenge, we just forget about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful. Sometimes you need to go back and read God's resume. And say, remember back in, 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 in 99 when, when your husband left you and you thought you couldn't make it? Remember, remember in 2005 when you lost your job and you thought you was going to lose everything and God kept it? Remember in, in 2012 when you got sick and you thought you wasn't going to make it and God healed you and brought you through? Sometimes you've got to go back and read God's resume. God has been faithful. He's been faithful. He's kept you. He sustained you. And God answers prayers. See, many people don't believe God answers prayers. That's why they don't pray. Most Christians don't believe that God answers prayers. That's why they don't pray, because they prayed, and God didn't do what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. And so they feel like their prayer life doesn't work, so they stop praying. Praise the Lord. But you've got to believe that when you pray, God hears your prayers. If you believed that God heard your prayers, you would pray. You would pray, but you just, okay, if you don't have a prayer life, you don't believe in prayer. That, I mean, the, the very fact that you don't pray is the testimony that you don't believe it, it. It's powerful. But Jesus told us to pray. That's why all the men in here need to be on our men's prayer call every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. on Zoom, wherever you're at in the world. Yeah, I hope you feel convicted. That's the point. Well, I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired too. I get up at five so I can be cognizant to what I'm going to say at six. And I slept next to two twin babies last night. I didn't sleep at the Holiday Inn. I want to go to the Holiday Inn. They have great sleeping. That's what they say in the commercial. I slept at the Holiday Inn last night. And all the women need to be on our women's prayer Thursday night at 9 o'clock. We've got over 120 men jump on that men's prayer. 
And if you can't get up at 6 a.m., then join the women's prayer. Because powerful, powerful things happen when men pray. Powerful things. It's, it's an hour of prayer and coaching. We don't just pray for an hour. We, we, we have different leaders and business leaders and coaches. We, they'll coach for 10 or 15 minutes, and then we pray, and then we coach for another 10 or 15 minutes, and we pray. And it's powerful when men get together and pray. The faithful, fervent prayer of righteous men availeth much. If you believe that when you prayed, God heard your prayer, and, you, and it availeth things to you, it brought things into your life, you would do it. But because of our unbelief, that's why the Bible says, be it unto you according to your faith. It's like Moses. When Moses was uh, called to set the children of Israel free from Egypt, and he grabs his staff, and God asks him, he says, what's in your hand? He says, it's my staff. And Moses gets out there with the children of Israel. He's got a million and a half people. And he finds out Pharaoh's chasing him again. Because it's, it's terrifying when you think you got away and found out you didn't. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to find yourself in between two mountains and a Red Sea in front of you and you hear hoof prints. And you think, here it comes again. And the reality is God orchestrated it and God allowed it. And it looked like Israel was going to be ambushed, but it really wasn't Israel that was going to be ambushed, it was the enemy. And I came today to tell somebody, even though past enemies are chasing you again, and it looks like you're going to be ambushed, God is setting you up for one of the greatest victories you would ever see in your life. Turn somebody and say, it's a setup. It's a setup. And he gets out there, and God asks him, what's in your hand? He says, it's my staff. And God tells him to stretch it forth. And he stretches forth his staff. Most of you think he was looking at the Red Sea. He wasn't looking at the Red Sea. When Moses stretched forth his staff, he was looking at the testimonies of all God's faithfulness, all the things God had done and brought him through when he murdered that person, when he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, when he saw the burning bush, all that kind of stuff. He, he saw it on, his, on the testimony of God's faithfulness. See, when you go into battle, you go into battle with your testimony. What the enemy wants you to forget is the faithfulness of God. What the enemy wants you to forget is the goodness of God. Where was the miracle? The miracle was in looking at what God has done. So many times we can magnify what God hasn't done. That's why the Bible says, magnify the Lord with me. It's like a magnifying glass. You get to choose what you magnify. You can magnify pain or you can magnify praise. You can magnify worry or you can magnify worship, but you cannot worship and worry at the same time. You're going to have to choose. You cannot be who you used to be and who you're going to be all at the same time. Either you, feed, either you feed your history at the expense of your destiny, or you choose today to feed your destiny 
How am I helping anybody? Lay it down. He told him to lay it down. It turned into a snake. He told him to pick it back up again. It turned back into a, a, a rod, staff. What was God teaching him? If you lay things down, I'll give you the power to pick it back up again. If you'll give it to me, if you'll release it to me. And I'm a firm believer that God is no prospector of persons, but he is a respecter of principles. And see, if you're writing notes, write this down. Your destiny is moving towards you at the speed of your obedience. Your destiny is moving to you at the speed of your obedience. We all want great things, but we don't want to obey. Praise the Lord. We want to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and we still want a great result. I want a six-pack and tacos. <laughs> right? We want, we want to do, I want a great marriage, but I want, to, I want to be able to sleep around and have sex before I'm married, but end up with a great marriage. Do you not know if you sleep around with at least more than 10 people before you're married, the odds of you committing adultery are over 90% when you get married? That's, that's not a Christian statistic. Just, just Google it. Like, like, because we cheapen it. Raising your body count raises your chance of divorce. Just let that simmer. Put that right over there and let that, turn that on low and just let that simmer for a minute. Your destiny is moving to you at the speed of your obedience. That's why the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? And you begin to realize the same God that delivered you from the last season... The last challenge, the last difficulty will deliver you through the next one. And so many times, you know, we don't like to pray because we don't think our prayer life works. The moment prayer does not serve us the way we feel like it ought to serve us, we stop doing it. Maybe our prayers are not working because it's impossible to hear from God when you've already made up your mind on what you want him to say. Why are you praying about a relationship you already made your mind up about? Now you asking me to pray about it? Now you wasting my time. Oh, Jesus. What they put in this stuff? Why are we praying about something you already decided what you're going to do anyway? Mama told you, grandmama told you, big mama, but you know more than anybody. You already made your mind up about it. You know, six foot four and fine don't mean nothing at 40 if you ain't got no spine. It ain't gonna, it ain't gonna mean nothing. I know she cute, lips, hips, and fingertips. 36, 24, 36. It ain't going to mean nothing once you find out sisters of Barracuda. 
See, that, that's what the Bible says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. See, the only, the only way to have the peace of God that passes all understanding is to give up your right to understand. You can, you can understand or you can have peace. Now, what you want? Well, I just don't understand, and that's why you ain't got peace. I don't understand why I just can't be with him, and that's why you ain't got peace. So what you want? That's why you got to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. People say, well, I just follow my heart. I cannot believe how many people follow their heart. And the world will tell you that. I see Christian parents tell kids, not nonsense, follow your heart. Follow. The Bible says the heart is wicked. It's wicked. The heart is wicked. No one knows how wicked it is. That's what the Bible tells you. To follow your heart and wonder why they end up in a train wreck. You better follow the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Talking about your heart. Follow your heart. The heart will get you into all kinds of problems. How many people, at least my age and older, can, can testify that the heart can get you in all kinds of mess? All kinds of problems following that heart. You better follow the Holy Ghost. You better follow the Holy Spirit. Which means you got to learn how to hear his voice. Go to God and say, God, speak to me in visions and dreams. Somebody say visions and dreams. See, God's first language is not English. God's first language is visions and dreams. So God needs to be speaking to you in visions and dreams. God will say, God, show me my husband in a vision. Every single woman in here should be saying, God, show me my husband in a vision. So when you meet him, if he don't look like what God show you, I ain't got to date you. Jesus loved Loves him so you don't have to. <laughs> he is loved. Every single man should say, God, show me my wife in a dream or a vision. Show me. So when you meet her, you don't, you don't have to spend one dollar <laughs> on someone else's wife. How many of you have looked back and saw old people you used to date and thank God you didn't marry them? You get on Facebook and you click and with every click, whew, thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you. Oh, God. Oh. Thanking the Lord. You didn't follow your heart. And God is waiting on people to lean on him and remember his blessings. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6 says, This therefore thou shalt keep thy commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and fear him. To walk in his ways. To fear the Lord. To have reverence for God. To trust him. 
To say, God, I'm leaning upon you as the author and the finisher of my faith. And to get in his presence. It's not just about having that, that you pray. I listen to people all the time. They're stressed. <coughs> they're stressed. They're worried. And I said, are you? I said, are you, are you getting in? How are you in Jesus? Oh, no, I, I, I prayed, I prayed. No, 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 no. I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. I'm asking you if you got in his presence. I tell my staff, I said, I need you to go do a presence test. And I need you to just go spend time with him and see how long it takes you to get in his presence. See, see how long it takes for him to let you in. See, because we were all just in a worship service, some of us were in his presence, not all of us were. If you're, if you're here right now and you, and you don't get in the presence of God, you just came to church. And the church is terrible. Church is awful. Church is the worst place in the world to be if you're not in his presence. Because what happens is you start looking at the flesh. And you're like, oh, he's so loud. I hate the sound of his voice. It's just annoying. And it's cold in here. Is anybody else cold? God. When's it over? You know, because you, you're in the flesh. You're in the flesh. You're just in a room. You can't wait to get out. And you're looking at all the things of the flesh. You're judging everything in the flesh because you're not in the spirit. You came to a spiritual. You came to a spiritual moment in your flesh. So it sucks. Church will. All, church will, You'd rather be anywhere than here. Then because you you come in the flesh. But, but the key is to not stay in the flesh. The reason why we have worship before I preach is to get you in his presence. That's why you ought not come late for it. Because some of y'all, it takes you longer than 15 minutes to get in his presence anyway. We got to sing for like an hour and a half to get you there. And then you come late for the 15-minute worship service, so you sit in the whole service in the flesh. And then you're like, ah, I get nothing out of it. It's because you put nothing in it. And so you've got to learn to say, okay, I need to be in his presence. I need to start getting ready throughout the week. So, okay, I'm going to start spending time with God throughout the week. I'm going to start my prayer life throughout the week. Saturday, I'm going to get everything. I'm going to start focusing on God Saturday night. Sunday morning, put my worship music on. I'm starting to get in his Because what you're trying to do is get in his presence. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go on a walk. And talk to God. How many, how many people know what it's like to be in his presence? Raise your hand if you know what that feels like. Okay. And how many people know there's a difference between his presence and just praying? Okay. So go on a walk and see how long it takes you to get in his presence. Well, it took me like 45 minutes. I had a cramp here before I got there. <laughs> right? However long it takes you to get in his presence. And, and, and what you want to do is spend more time with him where you can access his presence more readily. Where you just start going on a walk and about five minutes, tears start running on your face because you're like, I'm in his presence. Or you can just touch and agree and get in his presence because life's gonna throw you things. Decisions you gotta make. Kids calling, so-and-so, something. Okay, mom and dad are going in his presence. Give us, give us a couple hours, we'll, we'll call you back. Rather than like, I have no prayer life, I have no time with God. And then what happens is you just pray but you don't get in his presence. Then you think, well, this doesn't work. I'm not doing it. So then you do it less, and you do it less, and then you, you get in his presence less. That's why you can't tell me you have a prayer life and you're depressed. Because in his presence is fullness of... It's, it's, it's not about just praying. It's not about just coming to church. 
It's all about getting in his presence. Healing's in his presence. Deliverance is in his presence. Joy is in his presence. Peace is in his presence. Worry cannot stay in his presence. Anxiety has to flee in his presence. You understand? Like sickness has to pack up his bags and go in his presence because that's what we're trying to get you is in his presence. And when you can begin to access his presence, you, you have a hunger for his presence. You have a desire for his presence. You'll start to feel like I haven't been in his presence in a day or two. I got to get back in his presence. And so getting in his presence protects you. It protects your heart because you're thankful. How many of you know when you thank God for your food, you believe if you pray over your food, it protects, protects you. If there's anything in the food that would hurt you, it protects you. How many of you pray over your food? Because it's biblical, right? So the same way you believe and you have enough faith to pray over food, that if there's anything in the food, if you thank God for it, it'll protect you. If you took that same faith and started thanking God for your marriage, it would protect your marriage. If you started thanking God for your children, it would protect your relationship with your children. If you started thanking God for your career, it would start correct, it would start protecting your career. Areas of your life where you are complaining is because you've stopped being thankful. And that's why it's harming you. That's why it's starting to hurt you because you've stopped being thankful for it. And if you got enough faith to thank him for food, at least thank him for your marriage. Thank him for your health. Thank him for your children. Learn to be thankful for the great things God has done in our life. Somebody say amen if you believe that today. Every day is an opportunity. Every day is a gift from God, but what you do with that gift, what you do with that gift decides. Decides whether it's going to be a day to thank God, whether it's going to be a day to bless God, or whether it's going to be a day to complain. Because complaining is how you tell God you don't approve of how he's running your life. So quit complaining. Amen? God's blessed you. Some of you, some of you have, have blessings in your life that you know you don't deserve. Come on. Some of, you, some of you have jobs that uh, somebody else was more qualified for this. But God gave you favor, and he blessed you. Some of y'all married people, you know that person's too good for you. You married up. God blessed you. Was somebody that good looking? Turn to your, turn to your spouse and say, you're blessed. You're blessed. But God just blessed you. Some people say, if you're not good, God won't bless you, but that's not true. The Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Meaning God says, I'm going to be so good to you, it's going to make you want to repent. How many times I blessed you and you didn't deserve to be blessed, but yet I blessed you anyway. Has anybody ever had God be so good to them it made you want to change? God's goodness made you want to change. It wasn't that he, he, he disciplined you, it was that it was his mercy some people call it grace, but it's really mercy. Grace is the ability to do what God wants you to do. Grace is his, and mercy is his forgiveness. It's why it's not called the grace seed, it's called the mercy seed. Goodness and mercy. So I follow you all the days of your life. Count the blessings of God. Quit complaining about things. Quit complaining about them kids. 
Come on, they're a blessing. Children are a blessing. You know the things Joanne and I hear all the time when we go out to dinner? We cannot go out to dinner without an older couple walking up to us and saying, our one regret was what we wish we'd have had more kids. We, we cannot go out to dinner without an older couple coming up to us and saying, your children are a blessing. Because as you get to the further in life, you begin to realize the things that really matter. See, God's going to do more in your life from 40 to 60 than 20 to 40. You're not going to, all, all you young guys who are under 40, you're trying to make money, trying to make a brand, trying to be somebody, trying, 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 all that. You, you, ain't, you ain't, listen to me, I'm 44. You, from 20 to 40, most young men are trying to make a name, trying to make a brand. They're trying to, like, get somewhere. Most women from 20 to 40 are not focused on that. They're focused on character development. They're focused on family. They're focused on the kids. That's why y'all are at war a lot at home. Because he's trying to make money. She's trying to develop character. At 40, it flips. And the woman who spent the last 20 years focused on character development and children and the marriage is now a gun ready to run in business. And now you have turned 40 and you're realizing that money's not everything. And, but the problem is most men at that point have lost their marriage. And we can't go back and reparent because the kids has grown. And God's going to do more in your life. Just Google it. Just go- you don't believe me? Just Google how much money you make from 20 to 40 versus 40 to 60. You're going to do more. God's going to do more in your, the second part of your life. Your latter days shall be greater than your, your former days. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't sacrifice your wife and your children for the sake of paper from 20 to 40. Because you cannot go back and redo it. I know you don't believe me. I know it's hard to believe me. Because you get on social media and you start seeing all these young guys, oh my God, they're doing this, they're doing this. But the Bible says the blessings of God bring no sorrow. Look at the guy you're following. Is he married? Does he have kids? Probably not. Is, is, is he serving God? Probably not. So don't just follow people because they got money. Don't follow people because they're famous. Follow them because they're great. God says, I'll make your name great. People who need titles only need titles because their name's not great. That's why they need the title. Martin Luther King doesn't need a title. Billy Graham doesn't need a title. Abraham doesn't need a title. What's Abraham's title? Right? Because his name is great. God says, I'll make your name great. Quit going to God and saying, God, make me famous. Go to God and say, God, make me great. Make me a great father. Make me a great dad. Make me a great mother. Make me a great wife. Make me a great son. Make me a great daughter. Go to God and say, God, make me great. I want to be great. Not bigger, but better. And how you do that is to start looking at what God has done in your life. Quit comparing yourself to people. Only compare yourself to who you were last year. It's November 27th. Are you serving God better this year than you were last year, November 27th? Are you closer to Jesus this year than you were last year? Are you finding yourself in his presence more this year than last year? Is your marriage healthier this year than last year? Are your kids more in love with Jesus this year than last year? Because as a pastor, I do funerals, and I'm with people when they slip from time to eternity. And I don't know all that happens in that moment from time to eternity, but it's a real thing. 
the real thing. Heaven's a real place and hell's a real place too. I've talked to a lot of funeral directors, a lot of people who embalm people. And, and one of the guys would, Scarpelli Funeral Home, he would tell me, he said, I can always tell he wasn't a real believer. But he, 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 he'd say the man upstairs. He said, I always tell when they went up here or down there. And he said, I, I said, how do you tell that? He said, I could tell by how hard it was to embalm them. He said, he said some people, he said, it's like they tense up. The whole body tense. He said, I don't know what they see, but the whole body, and it, the pressure that they have to use to embalm them is so much higher. And he said, then there's those I could tell when they die with peace. The body's just relaxed and at peace. I ain't got no Bible and no scripture on it. But I said, I want to be at peace. I want to be at peace. He said, I don't know what they see or what they don't see or what happened. He said, but I can tell. Heaven's a real place. Hell's a real place. And to live as Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. And I told you just the other week as we did our series, The Last Days of Jesus is Coming Soon. More than ever, we need to keep burning bright the testimony of God's faithfulness. Teach it to your children. Teach them the things that God did for you. Don't hide it. Show them. When Joanne and I first started tithing, we first started giving to God in our vision offering stuff, we would sit the kids down and we would tell them, mom and dad, mom and dad, and this is biblical. You know, it says, teach your children. Sit down with them. Tell them. And we would tell them, mom and dad didn't always put God first. Mom and dad didn't always serve God. Mom and dad didn't always do this or always do that. We made mistakes in our life. And so when you see us write a check and you see us give or you see mom and dad serve or you see us volunteer or you see us, it's because we remember what God did for us. And this is the least we can do is to give back for what God has given to us. Write down the testimonies of God's faithfulness. Let me leave you with this as they come play something for me. 1 Samuel chapter 17. How many of you ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Come on, raise your hand. Everybody here should have heard this story. David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 38 through 40 says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, put on his coat of armor, and David girded himself with his sword of armor. And David said to Saul, I cannot go out in these to fight Goliath. He says, for I have not proven them. And David took them off. You see, you can't fight your battle in someone else's armor. You, you, you got to fight the giant in your armor. And what David said, he didn't just say, I can't fight. He said, I can't fight it in this because I've not proven it. What is he saying? He says, I have no testimony in this. I have no testimony with this armor. I can't fight on grandmama's armor and granddaddy's armor. I got to fight in my own armor. And then what, what did David use to kill Goliath? Right? Use a sling. How many stones did he pick up? He picked up, picked up, well, one killed him, but how many did he pick up? Picked up five, five smooth stones. But here's what I want you to see. Look here, because a lot of us, we thought we've heard the story, but, but I want you to look at this. Verse 40. And David took his staff in his hand. And then he chose five smooth stones. You know what he did before he picked up his weapon? He picked up his testimony. And I, don't, I think David, before he went out there to use his weapon, he said, I can't use a weapon without I first pick up my testimony. 
And I think before he went out there to kill that giant, because if you read the story, Goliath mocks him. Goliath mocks him. He's like, who, who do you guys think I am that you would send this boy out here to kill me? And David looks up that, looks up that giant with his staff. And he goes, the same God that delivered me from this bear. And the same God that delivered me from this lion is the same God that's going to deliver me from you uncircumcised Philistine. I will cut your head off and feed your flesh to the fowl of the air because he had his testimony. And his testimony, his testimony was his armor. It may just have been a rag and a rock. It don't have to be something great, but if God gets with it, if God adds his super to your natural, you can do supernatural things. It, it don't have to be great. It don't have to look mighty in the eyes of man. But so many of you are focused on your weapon. What weapon? What weapon? I'm telling you, grab your testimony. Moses went out there with his testimony. David, we all know David through the rag and the rock, but we forget that he first picked up his testimony from a boy. Because the Bible tells us, I killed a lion, and I killed the bear. He fought with his testimony. Before he threw the first stone, he remembered the testimony of God's faithfulness. And this story in Hebrews, as this prophet is there about to die, and the Bible tells us he's blind, and he begins to worship. I don't know how he was worshiping, but, but I imagine he grabbed his staff, is what the Bible says. And he couldn't see, but he could feel every notch on that thing, every indention, every mark, and begin to thank God as he held that staff and slipped from time into eternity. Find a way, whether it's a devotional, something in your home, Find a way to remember God's faithfulness. Get your children at a young age. Get them something that they can start writing down God's faithfulness. One of the things, if you go to our church, that we do here is when the kids go into nursery, we start a folder on them, a prophetic folder. And our teachers start writing down prophetic scripture over the kids. That before they could read scripture, scripture was read over them. That when they turn 18 and they walk across the stage for graduation and they're questioning, who am I? What am I supposed to do? What is God calling me to do? Struggling with my identity, whatever it might be. Here's 18 years of prophetic scripture that's been spoken over you. How many of you right now would love to have 18 years of prophetic scripture spoken over your life? From when you were a baby to 18. How much it would have shaped you. How much it would have helped you. Start to begin to speak that over your children. Declare it over your children. Give them to write down. Man, I'm going through this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, let's go back and look at God's faithfulness. When do we ever go back and look at God's faithfulness? Get, get, find a way to get God's resume. Get a resume of God's goodness. So many of us can remember the bad. So much better than we can remember the good. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Let's get rid of the testimonies of the wrongs. 
And let's start writing down the testimonies of God's faithfulness. Come on, you get something out of this today? Come on, give God a praise. Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.